Part 1. April is the cruelest month. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire. I remember desire. I remember lilacs. There was one time when I was very small that I left a sprig of lilacs in my family's station wagon. It was the height of summer, and the next time we all got in there to go for a ride, you were choking on the smell of lilacs. Part two, fine and mellow. The lady poets must not marry, pal, nor the lady songwriters, nor the singers at center stage. Sarah Vaughn did and look what it got her. Her husband slash manager took her apart and put her back together again as he saw fit. Frank Sinatra, who is no slouch when it comes to singing, once said that Sassy is so good now that when I listen to her, I want to cut my wrists with a dull razor. Yet a voice so good that Frank Sinatra would slit his wrists at the sound of it wasn't good enough until Sarah Vaughn's face and body and clothes were torn apart and put back together again to be more aesthetically pleasing to men. I can't listen to Sarah's rendition of All of Me without thinking about this fact. Billie Holiday married, too, against the aforementioned advice. She married twice, actually, but the great love of her life was music, especially the music she made with Lester Young, whom she dubbed the Prez. He, in turn, named her Lady Day. Jazz musicians always gave each other the names that their talent deserved, and the titles that society often denied them. It's in the naming that you find the power of a thing, after all. Billy and Lester insisted that their relationship was platonic, but I think that gives it short shrift. They shored each other up in a way that was incandescent and dark, creative and destructive. They made some of the most powerful emotional music that jazz has ever heard, but it was an unsustainable proposition. They loved not wisely, but too well. For me, the iconic representation of their relationship is that famous 1957 CBS The Sound of Jazz recording of Fine and Mellow. As each soloist plays, Billy is engaged and appreciative, but it isn't until the Prez plays that she truly lights up. That entire sequence reminds me of knights errant competing for the favor of their lady, Lady Day, and it's clear that the winner of that favor is Lester. Despite the electricity between them during that performance, it was recorded near the end of their friendship. Nat Hentoff wrote that they ignored each other through much of the rehearsal process, but when it came time for Lester to blow his solo, he walked right up and they locked eyes for what might have been the last time. Within two years, both Lester and Billy would be dead, both from complications related to drugs and alcohol. It's strange how such short moments can contain infinities, how a few bars of blues can hold in them the entirety of an enormous love story, how in a single phrase, 
whether it's spoken in anger or love, can change the course of a friendship. How an accidental touch can light someone on fire or chill them to the bone. So many things only take a moment. I have enormous trouble staying in the moment. I was getting an excellent massage the other day. My neck and back and shoulders hold the tension of the entire world, it seems, and I had to constantly remind myself to be in the moment, to experience the sensations, to be at home in my own body. I think that's why I love to play music and why I need to play music, because it's impossible to not stay in the moment when you are playing music. I mean, you can get out of the moment. It happens a lot when people space on lyrics or they suddenly can't play a riff they've played a thousand times before. Um, I mean, you can lose track and your hands will fly off the strings and you can't conjure the next lyric. All music has this element to it, but jazz music in particular requires you to be present. And not only present, you have to be engaged. You have to watch the band leader or the director. You have to listen to the soloist. You have to feel whether or not the rhythm section is working together or against each other. You have to be there. And when you're there and fully present, the most magical things can happen. I learned almost all of what I know about playing jazz from my college jazz professor, Dr. Chamberlain. He taught me how to lay back, how to be in the pocket. Uh, and he also taught me this amazing country western riff on the guitar. Um, why would an amazing jazz guitarist teach a, a doofy 18-year-old girl how to play that on the guitar? Um, one of the things about Doc was he uh, cut his teeth playing country western music in bars in Texas for the longest time. Uh, he had some great stories about playing in these rough and tumble places until five in the morning and fearing for his life. Uh, Doc, Doc was an unlikely academic. He, he took about ten years to, to get through his undergrad, um, but eventually became a college jazz professor. And he was one of my three advisors for my Bachelor of Special Studies, which is basically a bachelor's degree without any math or science or history or anything that I would have found boring or hard. Uh, and he was amazing. I would make appointments with him just to, just to talk about things. I remember one time I'd made an appointment with him and I had uh, been out partying the night before, but I dragged my bedraggled, hungover, uh, self to his office and it, it was obvious I was a mess but he really didn't say anything he just kind of you know chatted with me I think that was the time he told me never buy a new car um, and I never will um, mostly because I will probably never be able to afford a brand new car but also because Doc said it was a bad idea um, he was just amazing an amazing person who uh, had a lot of faith in me as a musician and a person um, I was I'm not still, I'm not a good jazz player. I love it. I love, I love singing jazz um, when I have the chance and I'll, I'll play it on the trumpet, but I, I'm not very good. Uh, I can follow, once I know a part, I'm pretty good at, at playing it consistently and that's what got me uh, the lead chair in jazz band for one semester because I just could play consistently, but I couldn't, 
I can't solo. I don't, I'm not, my technique not, is not good enough. I can't, you know, play really good solos. I try with my band, the Astro Hillbillies, but I'm just not technically proficient. Um, I can never hit anything above a high C with any conviction or consistency, but I loved being in jazz bands. I loved, I loved the, the music and I loved the people that were in the band. Some of those people are still some of my really good friends that I still talk with. And, and uh, just the experience of, of playing music together and having that much fun and, and connecting was just, it, it influenced me in such a way that I can't even imagine what my life would be without it. Part three, in the pocket. So that's a term I learned from Doc. Um, being in the pocket is when everything is just kind of working together just right. The, the beat is solid, the rhythm section is, is working together like, a, like one unit. Um, everyone's swinging and there's just no better feeling in the world. It's just perfection. Um, but it takes work and time to be able to get in the pocket. You have to be a good musician. You have to practice on your own. You have to rehearse with the band. You have to um, understand each other. You have to know where you're going and what you're doing and be working towards a common goal. Um, you have to have the right you know, musicians and music. Um, it's not necessarily a rare thing to be in the pocket, but it's unique every time it happens and it's, it's always something to strive for. And I think that the idea of being in the pocket, I just like the idea of pockets. Myself included, a lot of women I know just love dresses with pockets because it's a, it's a safe place for your hands. It's a safe place for your things. It's, it's, a, it's a cozy little place to hide in a certain way. And that feeling of being in the pocket musically or being in the pocket in your job or in your creative endeavors or in relationships is just kind of my ideal. I recently had a love that was in the pocket from almost the absolute beginning. Uh, it felt like we'd been made for each other. We could talk about anything and we shouldered each other through several hardships. The pocket we were in was the perfect size, deep enough to carry us safely, but not so deep that we couldn't poke our heads out as needed. Um, but as amazing as that pocket was, while I was enjoying the pocket with this amazing person, um, I was getting sick. Um, I was getting sicker by the day, and I just had no idea. Um, I had what could kindly be called a troubled childhood. Um, if you've heard um, the stories about ACEs, the ACE score, it's uh, eight questions, I believe, or ten questions about adverse childhood experiences, ACE. And if you have four uh, out of the, the total number, you're considered to be at higher risk for depression, alcoholism, uh, becoming an abuser yourself. And I had eight out of 10, I believe it was. And I, I had a lot of good experiences that mitigated those adverse experiences. Like I said, I had these amazing mentors in college. I had some, some high school teachers who really 
uh, looked out for me. I had some really good friends beginning in um, fourth grade. I had one really good friend, and then my junior year of high school, I got a circle of friends. So I had some some things to counteract those adverse childhood experiences. But and I'm not saying that those are completely an explanation for how sick I got. Uh, how sick I've gotten throughout my adult life. It's been a reoccurring thing, um, but recently it, it flared up, and it was it was so gradual, it was so slow and seductive, that you don't even realize that it's happening. Um, you you make you make a bad judgment call, and your partner excuses it, or you have a, a strange reaction and you apologize, and you're like, oh, that was weird, like I don't know what happened, and. And quickly those those incidents pile up and become more and more the norm. And before you know it, you are just full-blown caught up in whatever is going on with you. It's It can happen with, with bipolar disorder. It can happen with borderline. It can happen with uh, psychotic breaks. It's whatever it is that affects you when the triggers happen... It can get out of control so quickly. It's it's like a tornado. It's all the conditions are right, and it's it's rare that those conditions come together. But when they do, the the effects are devastating. And I I went through therapy around two thousand seven when I had a breakup, and things had gotten really bad. And I kind of naively thought that that time in therapy and that time being medicated had quote-unquote cured me but you're you're never cured it's you can manage your symptoms but you can't cure anything and I wasn't cured and I had another triggering moment and everything just kind of exploded and as my illness became bigger and bigger it made less and less room in the pocket and eventually um, the person I loved just fell out. There was no room and I was so sick and so wrapped up in this sickness that I didn't even realize that the person I loved was gone. And by the time I realized it and freaked out and started clearing out the space so he could get back in, um, he didn't he didn't want back in. And so now the pocket is just me and this big pile of sickness. And it's not a warm, cozy, safe place anymore. But day after day, you just work at throwing the garbage out of your pocket until finally it's that safe space again.
part four, dream a little dream of me. Some people read their horoscopes to get an idea about how their life is going to go. Um, other people get their palms read or have their tarot cards read. Uh, for me, I refer to the dream song that corresponds to my age. Um, not every year delights me or thrills me, but it's as good a method as any for steering one's course. Um, and the dream songs are the dream songs by John Barrowman, uh, who is an American poet that you should definitely know. It's uh, his centennial this year. Um, and if you haven't read John Berryman's dream songs, I ask, do you have a pulse? Are you a sentient being with a soul? Yeah? Then read these damn things. But be prepared. You won't find a lot of sense, but you'll find a shit ton of meaning. Uh, as Berryman himself wrote, these songs are not meant to be understood, you understand. They are only meant to terrify and comfort. Uh... John Berryman was a troubled soul, an adulterous alcoholic, um, but he wrote some amazing poetry, uh, a lot of which I uh, liberally steal from for my own songwriting. Uh, one of my favorite dream songs uh, is Dream Song 29. There sat down once a thing on Henry's heart, so heavy. If he had a hundred years and more and weeping, sleepless, in all them time, Henry could not make good. Starts again always in Henry's ears, the little cough somewhere, an odor, a chime. And there is another thing he has in mind, like a grave Sienese face a thousand years would fail to blur the still profile reproach of. Ghastly, with open eyes, he attends blind. All the bells say, too late. This is not for tears, thinking. But never did Henry, as he thought he did, end anyone and hacks her body up and hide the pieces where they may be found. He knows. He went over everyone and nobody's missing. Often he reckons in the dawn them up. Nobody is ever missing. That's a comforting thought. Nobody is ever missing. But that's not true. That's not how life works. There's a lot of people that are missing from a lot of people's lives. Uh... But usually not because we hacks them up, though. At least not literally. Uh, some people leave our lives because we hack at their feelings until they just can't take it anymore. Um, other people leave our lives because they die or because a relationship is on its course or a friendship is no longer functioning or... There's a lot of reasons why people enter and exit. But will never stop reckoning them up, especially in those early hours of the dawn. Because even if they're gone, we want to know that they're somewhere and that they matter. Thank you for listening to The Spin Down with Julie Jurgens. Uh, special thanks to the Astro Hillbillies, including Rob Reed, Rao Kodakispe, and Ira Ox uh, for providing some of this episode's soundtrack. Uh, you can learn more about the podcast at thespindown.tumblr.com, uh, thespindown.weebly.com, or facebook.com slash thespindown. Special thanks as well to Stan's Donuts, whose banana Nutella pocket uh, 
helped me realize today my feelings about being in the pockets and the symbolism of pockets in general. Uh, take some time this month to listen to some jazz, read some poetry, uh, keep an eye out for your own warm, cozy pockets, and be kind to each other. Thanks. Thank you.